Ephesians chapter 5. We've been studying now for oh, a few weeks and uh, on who hath required this or the folly of Easter. Uh, it's going to be celebrated all over the world in a couple more weeks. And we've, we've taken a lot of time to look at it from a from the Bible perspective, which is really the only only way to look at it, that it's it's not commanded of God. Amen. And we've shown where they've gone awry on things. Christ clearly did not die on a Friday. And we showed where it all comes from. It's the worship of Ashtoreth or Ishtar which in the English is Easter. It's a pagan deity. And I want to read here this morning, I, I, I title this one, <clears throat> Don't Let Your Guard Down. <clears throat> Don't Let Your Guard Down. So how did we get to today when massive, massive amounts of so-called Christianity, people who are genuinely saved, even members of the Lord's kind of a church, even pastors, commemorate, celebrate, preach this false 36-hour burial and the uh, Ishtar version of a resurrection. We believe Jesus died, was buried, and rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. We believe that His death, burial, and resurrection are absolutely necessary for our salvation. We just don't believe it like the world does. And it doesn't take that much effort, really, to study the Scriptures. People are lazy when it comes to the Bible. And I, I don't... I mean, people are just lazy. They won't study things out for themselves... That's why a lot of people today, they won't, well, I'm not going to use the King James Bible, it's too hard to read, so they'll pick up a, another version. Say, well, it's easier to read. If you study it, it's not hard. It's not hard to read. But I want to, that's a whole other series we'll be getting into soon. I'll just leave it at that. But I want to read Ephesians 1, or Ephesians 5. Chapter 5, verse 1. Read several verses here. Paul is writing to the church at Ephesus and he's giving them some instructions. And I think that we can apply these not specifically to uh, this religious holiday. I believe it's to be applied to our life. But I think we can apply it in this as well. Verse 1. Be therefore followers of God as dear children. So can I observe... Easter, can I observe Good Friday, can I observe Ash Wednesday, Palm Sunday, Maundy, Maundy Thursday, Fat Tuesday, can I observe that and be a follower of God? Is that following God that leads me to observe that? The answer is no. Verse 2, and walk in love as Christ also hath loved us and hath given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet smelling savor. Does it, am I walking in love? 
You know, Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. Well, he didn't command this. So am I walking in love by doing it? Furthermore, just as Christ offered himself a sweet-smelling savor unto God, is this making me a sweet-smelling savor unto God? I, I, I don't believe it is. Verse 3, But fornication and uncleanness or covetousness, let it not be named once among you, or excuse me, let it not be once named among you as become as saints. Neither filthiness, nor foolish talking, nor jesting, which are not convenient, but rather giving of thanks. For this ye know that no whoremonger, nor unclean person, nor covetous man who is an idolater hath any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no man deceive you with vain or worthless words. For because of these things cometh the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience. Be, be not ye therefore partakers with them. So we've already showed you that this, this whole holiday is, revolves around paganist, paganism, heathenism, paganistic celebration wrapped in, in a so-called Christian garment. So he said, I'm not supposed to be a partaker with them. By observing it, my partaking with them. Verse 8 For ye were sometimes darkened, but now are ye light in the Lord, walk as children of light. So I used to be in the dark, but now God saved me and He's given me, uh, uh, vi- he's given me spiritual sight. He's enlightened me, the Bible says. He is my wisdom. I can't continue on in darkness. You have to go. You have to grow. You have to go in the light. So I can't continue. Verse 9, For the fruit of the Spirit is, is in all goodness and righteousness and truth, proving what is acceptable unto the Lord. And that, that's a big one. Is God, is He approving of this? Is this acceptable unto God? Because if it is, we need to do it. If it is acceptable unto God for us to have a special, you know, once a year, wrapped around the pagan uh, uh, goddess of Ashtoreth, wrapped around the spring equinox. If that's pleasing to God, if that's acceptable to Him, then we ought to do it. Because we do enough things that aren't acceptable to Him. But I can't find in the Bible where God says this is acceptable. What we said in our first message when we studied this, you know what is acceptable to God? Assembling as a church on the Lord's Day. That's acceptable to Him. He said on the first day of the week, we are to assemble. And then He said, with respect to His death, He said, you take the Lord's Supper. You're going to eat this bread and drink this wine to commemorate My death. And and that's how it's going to be done. All of this other stuff that's going to happen here in the next two weeks, none of that is anything He commanded. Verse 11, And have no fellowship, not a little bit, no fellowship, with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. So reprove it. Well, can I do something and reprove it at the same time? Hard to do, isn't it? There used to be a preacher years ago. Some of you probably heard of the name. 
name was Billy Sunday up there in Chicago. And he used to say, don't do as I do, do as I say. Well, they're worth a dime a dozen, aren't they? Verse 12, for it is a shame even to speak of those things which are done of them in secret. But all things that are reproved are made manifest by the light, for whatsoever doth make manifest is light. Wherefore he saith, Awake thou that sleepest, and arise from the dead, and Christ shall give thee light. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time, because the days are evil. Is this, are we, do we redeem the time when, when we do these things? Verse 17, Wherefore, be ye not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. These 17 verses are not aimed at the, the festival of Ishtar, Ashtoreth. It's a general, these are general instructions Paul's giving. But as I said, we can apply this to pretty much everything that we deal with, can't we? Even this. So don't let your guard down. How did we get, how did we get here? How did we get where masses of amounts of as, as we said, so-called Christianity celebrates this and does it ignorantly. How is it that people, there's people in places all over the world, they actually reenact it. They'll, they'll nail themselves to crosses. They don't really drive it through the hand. They'll stretch out the skin between the fingers and they'll have people drive nails through it and they'll They'll whip people as they walk through the streets and oh this is you know we're 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 honoring Christ. None of that honors him. None of it does. That's a fool's errand. None of it is pleasing to God. We have the scriptures for us, and we have the first, you know, hundred years. You know, we've got Christ being born. We've got Him up until His death. We've got His resurrection. And then we've got pretty much close to the 100, 100 A.D. We've got John on the Isle of Patmos. Not once did the Holy Spirit say, hey, set aside a special day to celebrate this. Actually, He did. He said, on the Lord's Day, you need to assemble. That was it. That's the day. 52 resurrection days a year. 52 of them. In studying, it wasn't until 325 A.D. that the Council of Nicaea decreed that Easter should be celebrated the first Sunday following the first full moon after the spring equinox. Now, it's a lot of firsts. But that's why Easter changes every year. That's why it's March, it's April, it's, it's this time, it's that time, it moves back and forth. Because it's got to be after the first full moon, you know, after this part, after the spring equinox, the first Sunday following it. Well, I don't know if you remember, we, when we had that other chart up here of the Lord's Church and then false churches, and we said there was something that happened in 300 A.D., and that's when... The emperor of Rome said, he saw that fiery red cross in the sky, and he said, Roman Empire, we're going to be Christians. That's not how that works, is it? 
There was no new birth. There was no regeneration. There was no repentance. There was no faith. They just, you know what, we're going to be Christians. I saw a vision in the sky, and that was before the Council of Nicaea. So right away we see paganism being pulled in to all of this. But we never read it in the Word of God. Why is it associated with the spring equinox? Because that's how all the pagans did things was based on the sun and the moon and positions in the sky. Remember, this is, this is done after you had the Passover. Christ ate the Passover supper. That was the 14th day of the first month. That's in April. And then, it, then He was crucified. And then He was in the ground for three days and three nights. And He rose the third day according to the Scriptures. So why is it not every year like April 14, 15, 16, 17, you know, in that time period? Why not? Because it's tied to the spring equinox. So how is it that something so obvious, and it is when it's it's declared, how is it something so obvious, how is it that so many do it? In fact, people dig their heels in on this. I mean, this and Christmas, people really dive into it. And it's like they act like these are hills that we got to defend no matter what. I'm sure you've seen them. You know, we've got to put Christ back in Christmas. Nobody says we need to put Christ back in Easter. I guess it just doesn't work. The reality is he has nothing to do with them. So how did we get here? Well, first of all, if you look in Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20. I want to read verse 26. Simply put, it wasn't preached on. It hasn't been preached on. And I want to say, I want to say this as we as we start out. I've been here now six and a half years. I pastored a church in Caldwell, Kansas, for ten years. I didn't get to preach everything. Timothy John taught the book of Proverbs. It took him thirteen years. I know another pastor taught the book of Proverbs. It took him nineteen years. Because every single proverb, every verse in there is a sermon in and of itself. So we can't cover everything all the time. That's why it's so important for you to read your scriptures and study them outside of the house of God. And we're coming to a day when... It's going to be more important, and it usually is, we're already there, but to know this book than some of the things that we think are necessary to know today. Oh, we got to know how to do this, and we got to know, we need to know what the scriptures say. In Acts chapter 20, verse 26, Paul says unto them, Wherefore, I take you to record this day that I am pure from the blood of all men, for I have not shunned to declare unto you all the counsel of God. See, he preached more than just one thing. He preached more than just uh, you know, salvation, or he preached more than just this, that, or the other. He said, I, I declared unto you all the counsel of God. 
Verse 28, Take heed therefore unto yourselves. So, first of all, I taught you the whole counsel. And then second, you need to take heed to yourselves. Some folks, they get taught the whole counsel, but they don't take heed. Sometimes, the whole counsel isn't being taught, but if you take heed to yourselves, you might be able to fill in some of those gaps that aren't being taught. There's churches now that are going away from the truth of God's Word, going away from the Lord's kind of a church, going away from salvation truths, because they're not taking heed. Some of these places, there should be mass exoduses. But they're not. Because people aren't taking heed. Take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock over the which the Holy Spirit hath made you overseers to feed the church of God, which he hath purchased with his own blood. Paul is telling the elders of the church at Ephesus, he says, you need to take heed to yourselves and you need to feed the church. Feed them. It's like little kids sometimes and they don't want to eat this. They don't want to eat this. At some point, you cannot live off of chicken nuggets. Which, I'm very concerned that there's not a chicken in them. He said in verse 29, for I know this. I know this. He tells this to the church at Ephesus. I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. He said they're going to come in some and they're not going to be concerned about the flock. They're not going to be concerned about the church. They're going to not spare any of you. Look over to 2 Timothy chapter 4. 2 Timothy chapter 4. He says, preach the word. Certainly this ought to be what's done. This is what needs to be done in pulpits. That's what pulpits are for. Preaching the word of God. 2 Timothy 4 verse 2. He said, preach the word. Be instant in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. We're already there. Some of you young people, I really, I, I think honestly, probably everybody in this room, we were probably born into a time when they will not endure sound doctrine. I mean, that ship has sailed. Thank God he's got a remnant of people who do. He said, but after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. You know what a fable is? It's a fictitious story that entertains people. You know what a fictitious story is that entertains people? Santa Claus and Easter bunnies. They're fictitious stories that entertain people. 
And so we find here that a lot of times these things are omitted. Some know about it, but they won't preach on it. One preacher, preacher, I should put that in quotes, one preacher, told me that he knew all about the origins and uh, the succession into what is today called Christmas and Easter. And he said, but I'm not going to preach on it because those are our big money Sundays. That's when they get all these visitors that come in, you know, the C&E goers, Christmas and Easter goers, show up, people get their religion. And they come in and he said, man, we get people, they're guilty. They ain't been here since Christmas. We get more money on those two holidays than months and some other months. He goes, I, I, I'm not preaching against it. It's left off in preaching for various reasons. That's just one of them. That's why I encourage you to study the Word of God because it cannot cover everything in four hours a week. No, no pastor can. I'd like you to note, secondly, if you'll turn over to 1 Samuel chapter 8. 1 Samuel chapter 8. Why is it that these things are going on? Well, one of them, another reason it happens, is that God's people, seemingly, we have a desire to be like the world. We have this propensity. You know, it's like we sing in that hymn, Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to lead the God I love. We have, and it's like we're just, we're just kind of like a magnet pulled over to things. And a lot of people will minimize things, say, well, it's not really that bad. Well, 1 Samuel chapter 8, verse 5. Samuel was getting old and his sons didn't walk in the ways that he had, he had done. And the people come to him, verse 5, and said, Behold, thou art old, and thy sons walk not in thy ways. Now make us a king to judge us like all the nations. Israel was supposed to be separated from all the other nations of the world. God was their king. Jehovah was their king. And the Bible tells us here, 1 Samuel 8, 5, it tells us that Israel comes to him, comes to Sam and says, we want to be just like the nations. Well, that's the way a lot of churches want to be. That's how in a generation they go from believing the truth to smoke, lights, mirrors, rock concerts, very little preaching, going away from the Bible, going into entertainment. People want to be like the world. There's something that was said some years ago, and there's a lot of truth to it. As the pastor goes, so goes the church. It's also true as the church goes, so goes the church. If the church doesn't require the Word of God, then 
a pastor who preaches it, he's not going to stay. He's not going to continue on there. He's going to go somewhere else. God will remove him. If a church doesn't require the word of God, they'll find a pastor. They'll heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. And they'll just go the way of the world. And it'll be incremental. It's not going to be, well, we were here, and then all of a sudden, next Sunday we're over here. No, it'll be years, and they'll get over there. Because that's how Satan works. The slippery slope, it is undefeated. Wake up one day and go, how did we get here? Well, that's how. Let your guard down. Look, if you would, in Revelation 2. Revelation 2. Well, this was part of the first lesson. want to just visit it and, and, and go over this. This is the slippery slope. Again, well, what's it going to hurt? That mentality of it's just a little bit, it's just a little sin. It's just we're just we're just doing this one thing. And you know, isn't it great to see the kids, you know, go around, pick up eggs and do this? You know, it'd be great to see people repent of their sins and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and submit to him and be baptized put their lamps upon the lampstand, and follow the Lord. That'd be great. People get all all just flustered. Oh, look at the kids, and look how much fun they're having this. And, and they're just ushering them right into hell. Instead of preaching the gospel to them. Instead of this farce of him dying on a Friday and rising on a Sunday. In Revelation 2 and verse 6, notice here, the church at Ephesus, he says in verse 6, But this thou hast, that thou hatest the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. So here in Ephesus, there were deeds. There were works. There were actions. He says, you hate them. That's good. But I want you to notice they were deeds here. They were things that were being done. Now look over into verse 15. Here at Pergamos, notice how things kind of transition over. What was a deed in one place, in verse 15, it's a doctrine. So hast thou also them that hold the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which thing I hate. There's a lot of things people say, well, we, we can't do this and we can't do that. How come? Is that what the Bible says? Well, we've, we've always not done this. Or we've always done this. Well, don't let deeds become doctrine. Let the Bible be your doctrine and let that dictate our deeds. I'd like you to notice as well, if you turn over to Exodus chapter 23, thirdly this morning, Exodus chapter 23, how is it that things happen? How did, how did, it, did this tra- happen? I mean, there's, there, were, there was a day 
the Bible tells us when none of this happened, and I remember studying for uh, 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 the series on, on Christmas, and it was illegal in the state of Massachusetts at one time to celebrate Christmas. Isn't that something? Look here, if you would, in Exodus chapter 23. Josh, tell them to just come in and quit talking. Known brother Waddell was out there. It's all the commotion. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm just teasing you, brother. <clears throat> I'm on my last point for the Sunday school, and <clears throat> we're in Exodus chapter 23. Exodus chapter 23, <clears throat> and again we're we're looking at, you know, how did how did we get to this point where. Easter is being celebrated in such a way. I, I want you to listen to this. Because this is this is probably one of the biggest things. I don't think there's it's it's just it's not one thing, it's all of this. But in Exodus twenty three, verse thirty one, God is bringing Israel and they're they're right here. And he says, listen, he's getting them ready to go into the land. He said, I'm going to give you this land. Now, when you go in, there's a people already there. And they've got their gods and they've got their beliefs and their customs and their doctrines. He says, but you're my people. And so he tells them in Exodus 30, or 23, verse 31, he says, I will set thy bounds from the Red Sea even unto the Sea of the Philistines. And from the desert under the river, for I will deliver the inhabitants of the land into your hand, and thou shalt drive them out before thee. Thou shalt make no covenant with them, nor with their gods. They shall not dwell in thy land, lest they make thee sin against me. For if thou serve their gods, it will surely be a snare unto thee. So God tells His people, He says, if you do this, if you go in there and you make an agreement, a covenant with them of any kind, and you, here's what's going to happen. It's going to be a snare. It's going to be a trap. And you're going to be in the trap. And you're going to, as He says here, sin against Me. Well, Okay, we can, we can deal with that. Alright, well let's look a little further. Turn over to chapter 34. Exodus chapter 34. We can, we can do that, God. Exodus 34, verse 14. This is after Moses, you know, he's crushed the tables of stone. God's giving him the second commandment, second set of the same commandments. Exodus 34.14 For thou shalt worship no other god, 
For the Lord, whose name is Jealous, is a jealous God. Lest thou make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land, and they go a-whoring after their gods, and do sacrifice unto their gods, and one call thee, and thou eat of his sacrifice. And thou take of their daughters unto thy sons, and their daughters go a-whoring after their gods, and make thy sons go a-whoring after their gods, thou shalt make thee no molten gods. So now he gets a little more specific, doesn't he? You know what he says here? He goes, don't have your sons marry their daughters. Man, she's really good looking. I like her. She's cute. She's nice. Yeah, she goes to church. Is it the Lord's church? She's saved. Are you saved? Let's look. Let's read some more. Deuteronomy seven. Deuteronomy chapter seven. Laying down some of these principles that God gave the children of Israel. Remember, these things were written for our admonition. Deuteronomy 7, verse 3. A little clearer here. He says, Neither shalt thou make marriages with them. Thy daughter thou shalt not give unto his son, nor his daughter shalt thou take unto thy son. Any, Any way to misinterpret that? To misunderstand that, that's pretty clear, isn't it? Anybody have any hard time reading the King James Bible there? Verse 4. Why not, God? Why can't my sons marry their daughters? Why can't my daughters marry their sons? Verse 4. For or because they will, not might, not possibly, they will turn away thy sons from following me, that they may serve other gods, so will the anger of the Lord be kindled against you and destroy thee suddenly. People say, well, I know folks who who it didn't happen to. I'm just reading you what God's Word says. That's what I have to go by. What the Bible says. That's all we can go by is the Word of God. Now turn over to 1 Kings chapter 11. 1 Kings chapter 11. First Kings 11 verse 1. I don't have time this morning to go into every aspect about marriage. But I just want to read here with you and and understand here. It says, verse 1, But King Solomon loved many strange women. That means they weren't saved. That's what the word strange means. It doesn't mean that they were odd. It just means they weren't saved. 
together with the daughter of Pharaoh, women of the Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, Zidonians, and Hittites, of the nations concerning which the Lord said unto the children of Israel, You shall not go in to them, neither shall they come in unto you, for surely they will turn away your heart after their gods. Solomon clave unto these in love. Oh, daddy, mommy, but I love him. Oh, daddy, mommy, but I love her. So, so I want to marry her. Well, as long as you love each other. How many times have you heard that from people? And he had 700 wives. I don't know how he did that. Princesses and 300 concubines. I don't know how he did that either. But this I understand. His wives turned away his heart. I bet if you got 700 of them, I bet your heart is turned every which way. Verse 4, For it came to pass when Solomon was old that his wives turned away his heart after other gods, and his heart was not perfect with the Lord his God, as was the heart of David his father. For Solomon went after, what's the first one? Ashtoreth. Who's that? Ishtar. Easter. He went after the goddess of the Zendonians and after Milcom or Moloch, the abomination of the Ammonites. You know what that one is? That's the one where they burnt the children in the fires. This is the same one that was David's son who built the temple. Now he's offering children and sacrifices. How did that happen? He married wrong. He married wrong. Because how can you say that? Because that's what God's Word says. Look in 2 Kings chapter 23. 2 Kings chapter... Oh, I wanted to read a little bit more there. Go back to 1 Kings 11. 1 Kings 11. I apologize. 1 Kings 11 verse 6. And Solomon did evil in the sight of the Lord and went not fully after the Lord as David his father. Then Solomon built in high place for Chemosh, the abomination of Moab, in the hill that is before Jerusalem, and for Molech, the abomination of the children of Ammon. And likewise did he for all his strange wives, which burned incense and sacrificed unto their gods. And the Lord was angry with Solomon, because his heart was turned from the Lord God of Israel, which had appeared unto him twice. So Solomon, who built the temple, now builds a temple for all the gods and goddesses of his wives. 700 of them. They are now rivaling the worship of Jehovah. And he built some, the Bible tells us, in the hill that is before Jerusalem. Isn't that something? In the very same area as the temple is. Now turn over to 2 Kings chapter 23. 2 Kings 23. 
So some time goes by, back 12 generations. Think about that. 12 generations. Go back to great, 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 great grandparents. Or however many greats it is. 12, 12 up or 12 down. You know, people talk about changing generational wealth and different things like that. Solomon changed Israel generationally because of what he did, because he married wrong. Look here in 2 Kings chapter 23. Here under the king Josiah... They find the word of God. Things were so bad they didn't they they lost God's word. And they found it and they started reading it and they said, Oh me. Oh me. God created a revival in King Josiah's heart. And he started doing things the way God said to do it. And he gets down here into verse 13. And the high places that were before Jerusalem, which were on the right hand of the Mount of Corruption, which Solomon the king of Israel had builded for Ashtoreth, the abominations of the Zidonians, and for Chemosh, the abomination of the Moabites, and for Milcom, the abomination of the children of Ammon, did the king defile, and he break in pieces the images, and cut down the groves, and filled their places with the bones of men. Twelve generations that went on because Solomon turned after strange wives there are people of God today who are marrying young ladies or young men they're not saved or they are saved but they're not following the Lord and their hearts are getting turned away from the Lord Careful who you marry. Turn to 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 6. Good friend of mine in the ministry. He he was conversing. uh, And he was in college. And he was rehearsing this to me. And he said... I wasn't even saved. And I said, he goes, I knew I wanted to marry somebody who was saved. And he wasn't saved. I remember when I was ordained. And, you know, sometimes you get asked about your wife in agreement with all of this and your calling because that can cause a problem if she's not. Well, I wasn't married. And so the question was, well, who are you going to marry? I said, well, I'm a I want to marry a Baptist like Jesus did. Or like he's going to. That was my answer. Look here in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14. This, these verses do not only apply to marriage. But I, I do believe they do apply to marriage. It says, Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers... For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? And what communion hath light with darkness? And what concord hath Christ with Belial? What part hath he that believeth with an infidel? And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God. 
As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord. Touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you, and will be a father unto you, and ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. Sounds a whole lot like what God told Israel, isn't it? Look in 1 Corinthians 7. See, when you get married, <clears throat> contrary... I mean, you are only married to your spouse, your wife, or your husband. But they got family too. And now you got a whole new family. And that's good. A lot of people say, oh, you're, you, don't marry a, a, you don't marry a person, you marry a family. No, you don't. The husband leaves his mom and dad and he's joined to his wife. She leaves her mom and dad and is joined to him. That's a new family. But you got two these other families too. And that's good. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 33, the Bible says this. But he that is married careth for the things that are of the world, how he may please his wife. That is true. As a husband, you have a desire to please your wife. Now the next verse, there is difference also between a wife and a virgin. The unmarried woman careth for the things of the Lord, that she may be holy both in body and in spirit. But she that is married careth for the things of the world, how she may please her husband. So now you've got this, this wonderful truth. A husband, he wants to please his wife. The wife wants to please the husband, right? Well, if you're married to this one here, and she goes, well, my mom and dad, they want us to come over for Easter. And, you know, they bought, they got Easter baskets for the kids. And they got, you know, they want to do an egg hunt. And I know we don't believe in it, but... You know, can we just, you know, it'll make my mom and my dad happy to see the kids. You going to say no? Hope you got a nice couch. Hey, mom and dad want them to bring the kids over so they can give them Christmas presents. Want to see them open gifts. I'm just going to tell you, if you want to give my kids gifts, you can do it any day of the year. That's what I told my parents and my in-laws. Yeah, I'll wait till a certain day of the year. You see something you want to get them, get it for them. So now you've got conflict in your own home, which is going to extend over to this other home. And you stand your ground and say, we're not going to do it. I hope your spouse stands with you. I hope they have that same conviction. Because if you two have the same conviction, you'll be good. But if he's off, if he can't tell his parents no, if she can't tell her parents no, now Satan has a foothold in your marriage. 
and you're going to have problems. So I know how Easter got here. That's how. That's how it got into Baptist churches. Ministers didn't preach on it. The churches wanted to be like the world and through marriage. That's how it happens. And I'm amazed. I know a lot of people, I've heard parents say, well, there's just no way for our kids to, to court or date or whatever you want to do or call it. And there's not anybody for them to marry. <laughs> I was just at a Bible meeting and December 31st there were 70 young people. I wish I'd have known that many young people when I was that age who were attending the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. I wish I'd have known that many. There's churches of the Lord all over this country, all over this world. There's young people being taught the same thing you're being taught. You don't have to compromise on God's work. That's what I'm trying to convey. You don't have to give in and say, well, this is it. People say, well, it worked out well for this person. I can give you ten people right now it didn't work out well for, not including Solomon. Married poorly. I'm not saying they don't love their spouse. I'm not saying their spouse doesn't love them. I'm merely referring to the Bible. Because that's what we have to go by. That's what, one day, it's this book that's going to get opened. And that's what we're going to give an account to, this book. So prove what is the acceptable will of God. And I commend each of you under the grace of God to do it. It's not easy. Jesus said, without me, you can do nothing. That includes this. That includes pastors preaching this. That includes churches not wanting to be like the world. And that includes marrying correctly. We need the Lord to do all three things. So may God bless the word. Frankie, let's start about 1057. Hi, Peter. How you doing, buddy? Good to see you. Thank you.